Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. I have a terrific show lined up for you today. Joining me on segments two and three is a multi-time best-selling author, Mr. Harry Dent. We'll be chatting with him about his latest book, Zero Hour, and he has a special free newsletter offer for our listeners as well, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. In this segment, I want to talk about what the politicians aren't talking about. What is it that the politicians are not talking about? What is it that you should be aware of? And as I've said on past programs, our goal here on the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio program is to educate. We want to give you information that we believe will be vital to navigating the future economic environment. What should you do with your 401k or IRA in light of economic conditions and developments? And this is a really important topic. Now, this article that I'm going to be referencing was actually uh, printed or published in Forbes on January 31, and the author is Chris Conover. Now, if you start by looking at something called the fiscal gap in the United States. And I'll define that for you in just a second. But the total fiscal gap in the United States is presently $241 trillion. $241 trillion, which is two and a half times all household wealth. Now, what is this fiscal gap? Well, it's essentially the total of current debts, money that's already been borrowed and spent. People have loaned money in the form of bonds to fund this spending and future unfunded liabilities. One well, unfunded liability is just a promise that's been made of which there's no funding to back. So when we talk about unfunded liabilities, we're often talking about Medicare and Social Security. Now, just taking Medicare and Social Security for a moment, you would have to impose the equivalent of a 100% tax on all U.S. household wealth in order to fully fund Medicare and Social Security. In other words, we wouldn't take just the wealth of those that have over a billion dollars or $50 million as 2020 hopeful Elizabeth Warren is proposing, we'd have to take everything. Now, obviously, that's very unlikely. But when you look at this fiscal gap and break it down, federal government debt is now over 20 trillion. However, unfunded liabilities at the federal level amount to about nine times the national debt. It's about $180 trillion. And state and local governments have about $38 trillion of outstanding debt and unfunded liabilities. And of course, at the state level, uh, the state level has a lot of pensions that are underfunded. Now, if you look just at the debt portion of this, if you combine the federal government's debt and state government debt, you get about $24 trillion in outright debt. 
Now, the unfunded liabilities number is obviously a lot greater. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking that sounds like a really big number. If there's $240 trillion of total debt and unfunded liabilities, and only $24 trillion of that is actual debt, money that has been spent, money that has been borrowed and then spent, I should say, that leaves about $217 trillion in unfunded liabilities. How did you come up with that number? Well, a past guest here on the radio program, Mr. Lawrence Kotlikoff, who is a Boston University professor. He also served on the Council of Economic Advisors under Presidents Reagan and Clinton, is arguably the nation's leading expert on unfunded liabilities. He has written a book called The Clash of Generations, which outlines this. And economic historian Niall Ferguson did a parallel study, and these two gentlemen came up with about the same number. So we have no reason to dispute the accuracy of this figure or adjust it in any way. So the bottom line is this, to pay for all the promises now on the books, as well as pay off all the debt that's already been incurred, we need $241 trillion in federal, state, and local resources. $241 trillion. Now, if we start with that number... There are some conclusions and some observations at which we arrive, some of which are really important to understand if you want to know what to do with your 401k or IRA. Let's start with the first very obvious observation. This path is simply unsustainable. It cannot continue. And yet, despite the fact that these numbers are so big, we don't really have any political movement to address them. If you look at the recent Treasury financial report, it is very blunt. Here is a quote from that report. Projections in the financial report indicate that the government's debt-to-GDP ratio is projected to remain relatively stable over the next decade and then continuously rise over the remaining projection period and beyond if current policy is kept in place. This trend implies that current policy is not sustainable. And I might add that this Treasury financial report uses very favorable assumptions. And even under the most favorable assumptions, this trend is not sustainable. Second observation, filling the gap through higher taxes alone is politically unrealistic. If we were to start today, and it doesn't appear that we will, all federal taxes would have to increase by 41%. If we wait 20 years, all taxes have to increase 60%. If you understand politically rea political realities in the least, obviously that is not politically feasible. And filling the gap through a wealth tax, as some 2020 presidential hopefuls have suggested, is simply mathematically impossible. Remember, we need $241 trillion in hand today in order to pay off the debt and bankroll all the downstream promises. So if we took every penny of wealth held by not only Jeff Bezos, but also you, me, and everyone else in America, 
the amount raised would not cover even half the amount needed. The last option would be to take the budget and cut spending across the board by almost 40%. Obviously, not politically popular. In spite of all this, it seems ridiculous that we're talking about Medicare for all, which would cost another $32 trillion. So, what will happen? Well, will taxes raise immediately by 40%? If we wait 20 years, will taxes go up 60%? You have to answer that question for yourself. Will some future politician stand up? and sacrifice his or her political career and say we're cutting spending across the board 40%? I've observed politicians for a long time, and I don't see that happening either. Well, if we're not going to raise taxes significantly or cut spending significantly, there's only one other potential outcome. We engage in quantitative easing. We print more money. If that happens eventually, which I believe it will, Tangible stuff will be essential. You need to have an inflation hedge. However, if that does not occur, there is only one other option. We will see significant deflation, as my guest last week, Gary Schilling, pointed out, and as my guest this week, Mr. Harry Dent, will point out in the next couple segments. Now, what's difficult about all this is predicting the timing, because the what is a lot easier to predict than the when. However, as I close this segment, think about it. If you do not have an inflation hedge in your portfolio and a deflation hedge in your portfolio, you owe it to yourself to learn more and be sure you put these in place. One of the things you can do is go to yourportfoliowatch.com and subscribe to our weekly update. I'll be back with Harry Dent. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. It's a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you each week free, just visit rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. That's rla.portfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we track market and economic activity every week and monitor and update our forecast for your money. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. I am pleased to have back on RLA Radio today Mr. Harry S. Dent, Jr. Uh, Harry is the best-selling author of many books. He's written The Demographic Cliff, The Sale of a Lifetime, The Great Depression Ahead. That's just to name a few. Uh, his most recent book is Zero Hour. He is also the founder of Dent Research, which publishes the newsletters Economy and Markets and Boom and Bust and The Leading Edge, among many others. Uh, you can go sign up for his free newsletters at harrydent.com. He has an MBA from Harvard, and he has consulted for Fortune 100 companies. 
and uh, he has been a past guest here on the radio program. So, Harry, uh, welcome back to the program. Yeah, nice to be back, Dennis. Harry, let's talk a little bit about what you see going on out there in the U.S. economy and maybe more specifically the financial markets. There's certainly been a lot of volatility since the 1st of October. Now a wave back up. We've recovered uh, part of those losses. Uh, what's your forecast moving ahead? Well, you know, uh, you know, we've always been warning this is a bubble, the biggest in history, especially in China. And, you know, it is going to peak and it's going to end badly. But ever since Trump, Trump got, you know, elected by surprise, we've been saying, well, hey, it's hard to argue with tax cuts, which he promised and which he got. So we've been bullish since late 96 saying, OK, well, more bubble to come. Well, just when I was thinking in early 2018 that we looked like we had a nice blow off top, you know, with the tax cuts and everything. Well, we're seeing signs that uh, we have not peaked yet because bubbles take in, in the once a bubble peaks, the first crash tends to be 42 percent in the first 2.6 months. And that did not happen in early 2018. And after this recent peak in late 2018, it didn't happen again. Every time we see a downturn, I'm looking for is it accelerating like it's going to be 40 percent or more like 10 to 20 because a 10 to 20 percent correction does not end a bull market and especially not a bubble. So we're saying again, with the downturn only being 20%, not 40% recently, with the strong rebound here in January and February, this looks like the first wave up of the next and what we'd say the final bubble wave, which will peak somewhere between September, I'd say at the earliest and January of next year at the latest. Uh, we call it we call this the dark window. We look back in the numbers scenarios that the best one is late 90s, where we're, you know, the Nasdaq stocks were bubbling. It was a big correction in late 98. And everybody thought it was over down 34 percent in the Nasdaq and, you know, less so in the Dow. And then the Internet stocks roared. And, and next thing you knew, we had a bigger bubble than ever in the late 99, early 2000. And then we had the big crash. And so, so we're seeing that scenario that, that it does look like we're going to see one more wave of this bubble. It's going to be steeper than ever. Bubbles are progressive. I, I've also shown in recent newsletters that, you know, the first wave since 2009 with all this quantitative easing, and this has all been quantitative easing, not demographics, debt trends are worse than ever. The fundamentals are only worse but, but when you get $12 trillion printed globally, it's going to go into financial assets and it's going to prop up the economy temporarily. So, you know, since 2009, we've, we've seen uh, that the, the first wave up took six years to, to gain like almost 4,000 points in the NASDAQ. Well, the next one took, you know, two years and, and this one's going to take less than a year to gain 4,000 points. So each wave gets more progressive. So I'm literally projecting if we don't you know, break some key uh, support levels uh, like 5,500 on the NASDAQ, which is very unlikely at this point. We're, we're going to see the NASDAQ at, at about 10,000 um, by late this year, early next year, probably more like late this year. And the Dow is high as 33,000. So we may have the best rally yet. But boy, if that happens, we're going to be saying, take your money and run you can only keep a bubble going so long. And then what we've really had here, Dennis, is, is, you know, nine years of quantitative easing 
uh, unprecedented at any time in history. And then on top of that, and note, only in the United States, and the United States is the only global markets that have been making new major markets, making new highs in 2018, not Europe, not China. China's been way down, not Japan, never going to see new highs there. It's the U.S. only because we got these massive tax cuts on top of that. Corporations, highest profits compared to GDP in history, leveraged by low interest rates, quantitative easing, stock buybacks, which are now a trillion dollars in 2018. Earnings per share have gone up twice as much as earnings because companies have been buying back their own stocks at rapid rates, doubling their earnings per share. And that's what's causing the stock market to go up. It's not a real rally. It's artificial, but it's real for investors. And again, we think uh, we may see the best of it yet, but I don't see this lasting past late 2019, early 2020, because our biggest long-term cycle is yet to hit. It hits on an anniversary to the 1929 top 90 years ago. I call it the bubble buster cycle. The biggest bubbles um, every two technology cycles, which we cover in, in zero hour, every 45 years, but every two of those build on each other and you get the biggest bubbles like 1837, 1929, and now in this time frame ahead. So this is going to be the biggest crash we see in our lifetime, and it's going to be more like 29 to 32, but looks like we got one more um, hip hip hooray left here. Well, we are chatting today with Mr. Harry Dent. He is the co-author of the book Zero Hour, and we're going to get to cycles in just a minute. But I have one more question relating to the to the Fed because you know the Fed is starting to tighten, interest rates have started to go up, and then uh, more recently, uh, Mr. Powell came out, and I'm paraphrasing here that they're kind of keeping an eye on the equity markets, and uh, he turned a little more dovish, and and uh, he's looking for maybe to, to hold interest rates here, and and there's some analysts saying that. You know, he's now got some room to, to, to cut interest rates. To what extent uh, will that action by the Fed maybe extend this bubble in your view? Well, well, no question. This is what the markets, markets have been looking for two things when we had this correction late, you know, into December. <laughs> They're looking, they wanted the Fed, to, you know, Trump's been calling the Fed to back off. They've been looking for that. Well, um, Powell did back off, clearly. I mean, he says, hey, we don't necessarily have to keep raising rates. We may or may not, but it's certainly going to be less and only if required. And we don't have to keep selling $50 billion worth of bonds every month. That is the biggest factor for me. If they stop selling those bonds, that's the biggest thing, keeping long-term interest rates down. And that's what affects stock buyback costs and all these things that's leveraging. It's the long-term interest rates that are more important than the short-term for corporations and the economy and long-term borrowing. So this was a big deal. So that's one reason the markets are up. The markets are still holding out. Now, well, well real quickly, Powell did that, though, because what happens? Uh, Italy just fell into a technical recession. Germany close, and Germany's actually weaker uh, retail sales and, 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 and things. China keeps slowing. Um, so, so that's the reason the world is slowing except for us right now. And even economists are projecting 2019 will not be as strong as 2018 with the initial tax cuts. And we've been saying the same thing. The tax cuts are going to be more like a one-time hit. And then you're back to, hey, we got no workforce growth. Hey, productivity's at a half a percent. No workforce growth, half a percent productivity. How are you going to get 4% sustainable growth? You'd be lucky to get 1%, 2%. Um, so, 
So that's where we're at. So the markets are still holding up. If we don't get a China deal soon, I think they're going to start backing off. But a China deal and, and China is starting to reflate its economy. China plays whack-a-mole. You know, the, 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 the real estate bubble gets too hot and they encourage people to speculate in stocks. And that gets too hot and crashes encourage real estate again they get you know and they've been dampening down on borrowing now they're saying oh, oh well the economy's getting the six percent and slowing so they're starting to replace so i think the markets see these things fed backing off china some sort of trade deal which will not last and i'm stand by that one because china this is a long-term war for them but they may do something temporary and china showing more signs of reflating their economy and even europe some that's enough for the markets the markets are on crack and markets on crack want more crack. They don't care about the fundamentals of the economy as much as do we keep getting free money? Do we keep getting cheap money? Interest rates stay low. And can we keep buying back our own stocks? Do you know that, Dennis, all the net buying of stocks, net buying since 2009 has been corporations buying their own stocks to leverage their earnings per share. Institutional investors have been have been negative. Retail investors have been neutral, and foreign has been just barely nudging. It's all companies buying their own stocks. So, so here, here's the new formula for prosperity in stocks and financial markets. Governments issue record debt, which is stimulus, and finance, and, and are able to sustain that by pushing down long-term interest rates by buying their own bonds. So, so governments issuing bonds record and buying their own bonds to make a market form and to keep interest-carrying costs low. Corporations have slower earnings, but they leverage those by using cheap interest rates, long term and short term from the feds and central banks to buy their own stock and double their earnings per share for nothing. This is the greatest BS economy and financial markets in history. And when it ends, it will end badly. Again, I'm looking for on a level plus or minus 1929 to 32 when stocks went down 80 nine percent i'm looking for 70 minimum 90 maximum i'm looking for 80 to 90 percent as my forecast by 2022 so it's not going to end well well and, and harry obviously as you're talking uh, a corporation can only buy its own stock back for so long i mean that's a finite game they so well japan's been buying their own bonds they they ran out of their own bonds to buy so japan's central bank since they're stimulating three times as much as we have they're buying their own stocks and, and ETFs. They own most of the ETFs. I mean, this is crazy that governments would totally monetize financial markets. It, it's just <laughs> there has been nothing like this in history on the stimulus side. And again, stimulus encourages debt. Debt bubbles encourage financial asset bubbles. And they always, always, always end badly, period. This one's just been extended longer than any time in history, but that means it'll only end worse. Here, we've got about two minutes left in this segment. Uh, in the next segment, we'll talk more about the book Zero Hour, but the book is really based on the idea that, that cycles exist. In fact, uh, there's a Winston Churchill quote in the book uh, that has always been one of my favorites, and he said, if you want to know the future, you need to look deeply into the past, and that's really what your book does. Can you talk about the premise of cycles, and that'll set us up for the next segment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we have four key cycles. We started with demographics, peaked in 2007. Geopolitical cycle peaked in 2001 with 9-11. Technology cycles are the most critical long-term, peaked 2010 with the Internet. And now we finally have uh, this 
double technology cycle peaking um, in 2019. So it's these cycles. And I tell you, we've had one after the next peak, but they're all going to be down in the next few years. And that's why I see 2019 to 2022. That's the zero. We're approaching the zero hour where the cycles are so bad. And, and the markets get so overvalued, they just collapse of their own weight. You can, you can only keep a bubble going so long. And that's the premise of the book. In the next year, we're going to run out of any means to keep this thing going. And when it collapses, it's going to happen so fast, central banks aren't going to be able to react. And they're not going to have the credibility if, if we, you know, uh, printed our way out of the last crash. And, and, and the recession, and we get a deeper one, people are going to say, well, that didn't work. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Our guest today is Mr. Harry Dent. He is the co-author of the book Zero Hour. I would encourage you to check it out. And uh, you can go to harrydent.com. That's www.harrydent.com and uh, sign up for his free newsletter as well. And I would encourage you to do that too. I will be back and continue my conversation with Mr. Dent after these words. Stay with us. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. It's a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you each week free, just visit rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. That's rla.portfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we track market and economic activity every week and monitor and update our forecast for your money. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. Welcome back to RLA Radio. Today we're chatting with Mr. Harry Dent. If you're just joining us, uh, Harry has an offer for the listeners today. You can go to harrydent.com and sign up for his free newsletter. We're chatting with Harry today about his book, Zero Hour. And uh, Harry, in the last segment, uh, you kind of set this segment up by talking about the fact that uh, the book is really based on, on cycles. And talk a little bit about why cycles exist. Well, you know, you know, first of all, from the sun coming up, you know, once every morning, your heart beating once every second on that. I mean, everything is cycle. What, what I've had to do, Dennis, in the economic arena over time is identify which cycles are the most critical. The, the few cycle people I know, because cycles aren't very popular. People don't like the downside of cycles, so they don't even like it. In the first. But the, the cycle people I've known, they, they, they look at all cycles. I've come down to four cycles. It took me right off the bat. I got demographics, generational spending cycles, the biggest breakthrough I've had, still the biggest breakthrough, the best fundamental indicator, 46-year lag for peak in spending, new generation spend like the baby boomers from 1983 to 2007, and then slow down as their kids leave the nest and, and cause a downturn into 2022-23. And that is happening. The only difference is 
central banks stepped in in 2008 when that started to happen, the downturn, and we started moving into that. They just said, well, we're going to print our way out of it. Well, that's artificial and can't last. But I found over time I had to add a geopolitical cycle when, when 9-11 changed everything. I mean, I, I forecast the first boom in the 90s that nobody else did. Dow 10,000 by 2000 was my mantra in the late 80s, early 90s. Of course, stockbrokers love that. And investors, well, I expected the second boom with baby boomer spending from 2002 to 2007 to be just as strong. Well, it wasn't. Well, what changed? Geopolitical cycle. So I, I, I searched and searched and found a 35-year cycle, 17, 18 years positive, 17, 18 years negative, added that cycle. Then, you know, I found technology cycles. Of course, they, they create productivity. Internet, automobiles, railroads, steamships. That is a 45-year clock. Unbelievable. And so that was part of this boom. And the Internet, you know, and everybody had the Internet by 2010. And that's been fading. Um and finally, I found sunspot cycles, boom bust. I, mean, I only did this after one of the largest fund managers said years ago what saved him from the 2000-2002 tech wreck was sunspot cycles. Well, I knew. I, I study all cycles, but that was considered to be 11-year cycle. I said, well, I don't know anything, any correlation with 11 years. Well, I go back and look at it after listening to this fund manager insisting this was important, and I find, oh, in the last 100 years, it's been 10 years. Sunspot cycles vary, and they vary from 10 years on average from 8 to 14. So I can't predict this, but I find scientists that can very well. And we find that 88% of recessions happen in down sunspot cycles, and 100% of the 11 biggest financial crises, crashes, and depressions have occurred. 100% in down sunspot cycles, and we're in one right now. It doesn't bottom till about the end of 2020. So this is another, all four of my cycles now point down, especially between late 2019 and late 2020. So I, I'm going to be extremely surprised if we don't see a major crash start by then, and probably we'll see the worst of it right off the bat. And remember, I said in the first segment, the first crash in bubbles throughout history, stock bubbles, is 42% in the first two to three months. In other words, most bubbles crash 70, 90%. Half of that will happen right off the bat when the smart money says it's over and start shorting the hell out of it while everyday investors are blindly, you know, getting on the Titanic. So, so this is, we're coming up to that zero hour point. I, I'm picking it between September of this year and, and January 2020 with these tax cuts and, and, and the Fed backing off and a lot of good things. The market still wants to run here. But uh, my biggest cycle is a double technology cycle every 90 years. The anniversary of the late 1929 to 32 crash, 89%, by the way, in stocks, blue chip stocks, tech stocks like the fangs today, that I see repeating roughly between late 2019 and late 2022. So we, we have not seen anything like this in our lifetime. Um, only the generation before it saw it, but, you know, um, so this is something people aren't going to expect, and I've been warning people about it. I get a lot of flack about it, but at least people like you, Dennis, are willing to uh, let people hear this. Because I'm telling you, this is going to be a shock, and 90-some percent of people will not see it coming and will see their net worth evaporate. And if you think ours is going to evaporate, imagine Chinese who have 80% of their net worth in real estate and have the biggest real estate bubble by far in the world and in all of history. 
bam, they're 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 just going to see a wealth of operation unprecedented. You know, Harry, you you brought it up, and I was just going to uh, ask you to to address a listener out there that is saying, you know. All these cycles make sense, and uh, I have for a long time said that cycles exist because human behavior is predictable. Faced with the same set of facts and circumstances, groups of humans and politicians tend to behave similarly. But when you start talking about sunspot cycles, there's some listeners out there I know that are maybe going to say, wow, that seems like a little bit of a disconnect. What would you say to them? (laughs) Well, I got a lot of flack when I first announced it to our own (laughs) conference, And, and that's why I said, okay, I'll try it here. I got saved by a lady in the audience. She stood up because people going like, oh, Harry's finally lost it. She stood up and said, listen, I get this 100%. I am a nurse in an emergency room, and my husband is a police sergeant. And we know that with just a little extra light on a full moon, people go crazy. You know, more accidents, more things, you know, I mean, you know, more sex. I mean, you name it. It affects people. Now, in a sunspot cycle at the top, there is 20% more, 20% more solar radiation. If economists ever sat out on a beach, which they don't, they'd know <laughs> that makes people feel better. And, and you have more sun, better for crops and stuff, more rainfall with evaporation, and, and then 20% lower. So, again, I don't, I am, the difference between me and most economists, I will look, I have always looked outside of the box when necessary, but I will not, I took six months once I got this insight and saw the correlations to, to just dig and say, make sure this was right. The correlations, if you find something that will pick recessions 83% of the time and something that will pick major financial crash would be right 100% of the time, be my guest. I tell people, ignore this at your own risk. This is real. It affects human psychology. It affects even, I mean, there was a guy that wrote a book in 1920 documenting sunspot cycles, industrial activity, commodity cycles, and nobody listened to him. And it still works and nobody listens today. So if you don't want to listen to it, be my guest. You will be the loser. This is real stuff. And I am, this is the best indicator I've found since the spending wave in 1988. And that's how I got famous predicting this 1990s great boom and beyond and simultaneously predicting, which nobody would have thought that Japan would see the biggest crash of anybody in the 1990s. You don't do that by accident. I had a new indicator that was outside the box. Economists were not aware of. It was right. Sunspots are another out-of-the-box indicator that makes sense to me and have an incredible correlation with the past. Incredible. You know, Harry, I want to uh, d- thank you for that explanation. I want to jump ahead a minute because in the book, your d- chapter four is titled A World Rushing Into Revolution. That's a pretty, pretty scary title. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, again, just bigger cycles. Every 250 years, we get a major political social revolution. The last one, obvious, duh was the American Revolution. That was the advent of democracy. Democracy didn't exist before that. That was the, 1776 saw the, the um, Declaration of Independence, the patenting and perfection of the steam engine, the center of the Industrial Revolution, a whole new thing. Um, and Adam Smith, the first major economist in history, penned the wealth of nations, which was the first person to say free market capitalism is real, and it's the invisible hand. Those three things came together, and I'm telling you, I got stock market charts back then, and then 
that are logarithmic, which means it smooths out an exponential trend to a straight line, and it's still exponential. We have been on a tear since then, more so, you know, I've I, I put out in a, in a recent edition of our newsletter, The Leading Edge, since the late 1880s, in, part of the impact of democracy and industrial revolution and capitalism, the whole world took off. Life expectancy has gone from 32 to 70 overall, 80, 40 to 80 in developed countries. Poverty has been darn near eradicated and all that child mortality. I mean, we've seen more progress since the late 1800s and also since the American Revolution than all human history put together as far back as you want to go. And again, this is cycles, 250-year cycle. I have a 500-year cycle that says, hey, this unprecedented, that revolution in the late 1800s, that was the 500-year cycle, the most powerful kicking in. We're only halfway through that. Yes, we got a big reset coming, a big bubble burst, and it's going to affect the developed countries for a long time, but the emerging countries are going to come screaming out of this. And I tell you, for, for our kids and grandkids are going to see a world much greater. This 500-year cycle doesn't peak until 2150 when Asia will dominate the world. Women will be far more powerful. You see that happening. It's going to be a whole different world. We can see these things today, but it's taken me my adult lifetime to look at all types of cycles to say which are most important. So in any time frame, I can tell you these are the important cycles. And again, the ones I said in the first segment, geopolitical every 35 years, demographic about every 40 years, technology cycles every 45 years, and sunspot cycles about every 10 years. Those are the four cycles I have determined over 30 years that make a difference for the economy. And, and if you see that, I can project for you, your kids, your company, what's going to happen for decades ahead, even century plus. Here we've got we've got a minute left. Give our listeners some quick advice as to what they should do with their assets. What should they do with their four hundred one ks and IRAs? Well, you know, again, every financial advisor is going to tell you, and normally this works. Hey, just stick with the markets. It's hard to time them, and you know, blah 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 blah. It doesn't work out. Well, no, not at a time like this. This is a great once a generation every forty years. We see a 12 to 14 year downturn where stocks go down 50 to 70 percent. Every two generations, every 90 years, we see a great reset where stocks can go down 80 to 90 percent. Real estate, 40 to 50 percent. You do not want to sit through this. This is the time. I say it's too early yet. By late this year, especially if the markets keep going up, you've got to start radically saying, I want to be in defensive stuff. I want to be in the highest quality treasury bonds. And the U.S. dollar is king, and it was in 2008. So were our treasury bonds, not gold, not silver. You want to be more in cash, and you want to wait for this reset. Everything, commodities, stocks, real estate, everything financially owned except for high-quality bonds and U.S. dollars and cash will reset back to reality after these bubbles. And then a few years from now, that's why our book before Zero Hour was called The Sale of a Lifetime. The world will be on sale. You could have bought anything, stocks in late 32, anything else by early 33, real estate, commodities, anything, and made money for decades and decades because you'd have bought them at the lowest point in anybody's lifetime. So we have this danger coming and this huge opportunity. You can't take advantage of the huge opportunity if all your assets shrink 50, 70, 80%, and you have nothing to invest with and you've lost your net worth. You have to do something radical here and most people won't that's the that's the sad story 
But we're going to have to leave it there. Our guest today has been Harry Dent. Uh, you can get Harry's free newsletter by visiting harrydent.com. The book is Zero Hour. Uh, I have read it. would encourage you to do the same. Harry, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dennis. We'll be back after these words. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. It's a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you each week free, just visit rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. That's rla.portfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we track market and economic activity every week and monitor and update our forecast for your money. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. The website again, rla.yourportfoliowatch.com. Welcome back to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen, and thanks again to our special guest expert today, Mr. Harry Dent, for joining us on today's program. You know, in this last segment today, I want to share with you some comments made in an article written by Alistair McLeod. Alistair's been a past guest on this program as well. This article was published... Uh, on Mises Wire. Now, if you're not familiar with the Mises Institute, the Mises Institute actually uh, is based in Austrian economics. Uh, Austrian economics, uh, I believe, is a more uh, sound economic approach. Uh, Obviously, that is my opinion. But Alistair makes some really great points in this article titled, The Threat of a U.S. Government Debt Trap. And it really supports, again, the idea that In your portfolio, whether you have an IRA or a 401k or a brokerage account, you need to make sure that you have an inflation hedge and a deflation hedge. Now, Alistair in the article uh, points out that when debt is issued, which means when governments or corporations borrow money, there's usually a contract that it will be repaid at the end of its term along with interest. Now, typically, a company or a government would issue bonds. If you buy a bond, you're essentially loaning that company or loaning the government money. And when you're loaning that company or government money, they agree to pay you back at the end of a term, and they agree to pay you interest on the money that you've loaned them. Now, often, governments and corporations will roll over debt into new bond obligations at the end of their terms. Uh, but at least bondholders have the opportunity to be repaid their capital. Now, essentially, that's how the government has been financing their activities for a very long time. Uh, People just roll their government bonds over into new government bonds and don't make the government repay the debt. They don't make the government repay the loan. Now, Alistair makes the point that this rolling over of old debts and continually adding new ones to them 
is going to become a problem for governments everywhere sometime in the near future. Now, Mr. McLeod points out that there's been studies done to compare outstanding debt with GDP or gross domestic product. So basically, it's debt over production. So it's how much money is this country borrowed versus how much do they produce. So to put it in household terms, it's what's your overall household debt and what's your overall household income. The more income you have, obviously the more debt you can service, the more payments you can make. So Carmen Reinhardt and Ken Rogoff have studied this. Uh, They've written a, a book that is a great book I've read. It's called This Time is Different. So if you want a really good read, uh, you might want to pick that up as well. Now, Reinhardt and Rogoff say that once you have debt to GDP, once you have debt to income of 90% or more, economic growth becomes progressively impaired. Economic growth stops. It doesn't stop, but it slows way down. So currently, if you look at U.S. government debt, U.S. government debt, if you include intergovernmental holdings, is now about 105%. There's about $22 trillion in government debt presently. And as I talked about in the first segment today, that does not include unfunded liabilities. So for the sake of this discussion, we'll look purely at debt. Now, 105% significantly impairs economic growth. What's really interesting, Mr. McLeod points out, is the rate at which this debt has grown. See, from 2007 to 2009, government debt increased 32%. But if you look at from 2007 to 2016, government debt increased 217%. Now, if you compare that to government debt increases from 2000 to 2007, which was the last bus cycle, it increased 59% the first time, and it increased over 200% this time. So that suggests that as time goes on, government debt will continue to grow exponentially and will be more of a drag on the economy. Now, assuming that government debt just increases in the next credit cycle at the same percentage rate as it did the last, So if you go from 2007 to 2016, which is a 10-year time frame, if over the next 10 years, debt only increases at the same rate, there's $51.4 trillion in debt, and economic growth continues to stagnate at an even greater rate. At that point, Mr. McLeod says governments are going to have a hard time rolling over the debt, or maybe sometime before then. Now, there's two choices when debt can't be paid or rolled over. It's either not paid, in which point there's a default and deflation kicks in, or the government, with some assistance from the Federal Reserve, prints money to pay down the debt, in which case the debt gets paid, but with, in this case, dollars that are worth a whole lot less when the debt is repaid versus when the debt was incurred. This brings me back to the two-bucket approach that I often talk about. Will we have deflation or will we have inflation? And the answer is yes. We don't know which and we don't know when. 
However, what we do know is that there really will not be time to prepare for either. If you wait to prepare until something happens, it will likely be too late, as I discussed with Harry Dent. That's why I'd encourage you to educate yourself. One of the ways you can do that is to sign up for our weekly newsletter at yourportfoliowatch.com. It's delivered every Monday at 5 o'clock. That's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be back again next week. Thank you.